0: Welcome back to The Social Work Social. My name is Melanie Matthews, and I'm a registered social worker. Last season, we explored the world of mental health treatment by sharing information and stories told by social workers. This season, we're going to go even deeper by exploring how different helping professionals work with social workers to support mental health and well-being, and also to pursue social justice. Before we get started, I have two disclaimers to make. The first is that you should be aware that all the information presented in this podcast is specific to Ontario, Canada. Different professionals follow different rules and restrictions dictated by their regulatory body in their area. The second disclaimer is that nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice or treatment. You're unique. That means that what we talk about today might not be quite right for you. So if you're interested in any topics presented here, be sure to get in contact with a professional directly. That said, let's get into today's episode. Today, we're going to talk to Olivia. She is, as she describes herself, a recovering politician. She was a federal New Democratic Party Member of Parliament representing Trinity Spadina from 2006 to 2014. She's also a former Toronto City Councillor and school trustee and ran in the 2014 Toronto mayoral election. Currently, she's the founder and executive director for the Institute for Change Leaders. She has some incredible professional and personal life experiences to tell us about. There's no trigger warning for this episode.
1: Hi, I'm Olivia Chow, and I am a founder and uh, running the Institute for Change Leaders. I used to be an elected representative, uh, member of parliament, and city councillors. Uh, and now I am uh, teaching political organizing. Thanks for taking
0: time out of your schedule to come and do this interview, Olivia. I know you do so much in the community now, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. So tell me about how you got started in politics. What made you decide that that's the path you were going to go down?
1: Well, my degree is actually in fine arts. I love painting and sculpting, and uh, but I also... Uh, volunteered in the Toronto Crisis Centre, which is uh, it, it's from the Toronto East General Hospital. And it's a crisis intervention unit. And, and they uh, deal with people that come into the emergency ward. And after they're medically cleared, they need people to see if they are uh, going to attempt suicide again. Uh, and these folks that have that came in because they attempted suicide often uh, either they, they're seeking help or they, they didn't know how to commit suicide in a way. Uh, so if we just let them go back to their house and it becomes uh, they, they may attempt again. So I did that for two years and came to know about the, the kind of loneliness, but also the injustice um, that surround a lot of people. And there was one opportunity that um, I realized that I need to do something. Uh, and that was in the middle of the Southeast Asian crisis, uh, Southeast Asian refugees crisis. And what I did was I got involved politically and realized that um, the power of the collective, the power, uh, when people came together, they could change and move the government to do the right thing. That's how I got involved politically, both through my personal commitment in my work, but also through uh, joining a a refugees movement.
0: And the political activism and the you know, trying to find supports for people's mental health and wellness was
1: always at the core of what you were trying to do politically. I was trying to help individual, but then I realized that uh, the individual, some uh, are surrounded with really um, a lack of opportunity, a lack of housing, a lack of personal support. Uh, they, because they have uh, either abusive relationship or uh, they just felt that there was no hope left in their life. And uh, I came to see from the individual to, a, to uh, more of a structural um, that it, it's not just the individual. It's also what society can do to support each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's really important. It's not just about supporting one person, but coming together to be able to create conditions where everyone gets what they need to be able to thrive.
1: Yep, yeah, that's that's exactly how I experienced it at that time. And it was very I was in my I just graduated from university and I was just starting to learn about all these things and it was it dawned on me that I need to become politically involved.
0: And you ended up contributing to quite a few policies that you know, made some changes in the conditions around those issues you were just talking about, didn't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. The the Southeast Asian refugees movement, at the end of it, we had uh, Canada accepted 200,000 Southeast Asian refugees uh, into, into Canada I got involved in helping new immigrants settle in Canada and mental health is also a challenge for them. Uh, So I worked with uh, a group of uh, some of my friends, social worker friends, and started something called Family Life Service for for Chinese Canadians. At that time, there's very little service that if you can't speak English, you're really stuck. Also, we need to be culturally sensitive to people that are in need. So I started a a group of agencies, whether it's um, uh, legal aid clinics or counseling, family counseling. That was in my social work phase. Uh, And then I realized, um, hang on a second, maybe it's not just about what we can do to help each other. It's also the government that has all our money, our tax dollars anyway, Uh, there's a lot they can do also. That's when I became very political.
0: It's so interesting to me that you started out by working so closely with social workers because often when people think about social work and politics, they think of us as being at odds with each other. We're working against the government or we're trying to um, advocate to have policies changed within the government because they see them as not being supportive to the work that social work is doing. But you as a politician, you were very allied with social workers.
1: Well, I started off uh, working at Wood Green Community Centre. I started off uh, helping the refugees uh, settled in Canada because I got involved in this campaign to get them into the country. But they need to be able to settle down uh, and, and settle well. So I started being a community and, and social worker and then I realized wait a second um, that's not enough there's a system that's stacked against people and that's how I became involved politically I ran for office I, I won um, and ended up dealing with kids education system because I thought it's important to start young um, and then I realized some of this school policies um, there's only that much I can do I got uh, when young people didn't have a metro pass which is a TTC a t- public transit pass I thought wait a second that's not fair um, they don't have much money so I started lobbying for a transit pass uh, and then oh that's a, another level of government metro council at that time is a municipal government and also it was policing issues that I got involved with and I figured If you can't, um, if you can't speak English, you call nine one one. The person on the other line, no idea what you're talking about. So, it's really important that uh, that when you call nine one one, it should speak your language because you're obviously desperately in need of help. Um, I won that campaign, but then I became really involved politically, municipally. So I ran for office and became. A city councilor. So, you know, it's always there was something I needed to change. It's a different level of government. And then I realized wait, federal government had all this money. Uh, they do with immigration and and childcare. They're not investing in kids, not investing in community housing. And then I ran to be a member of parliament. So I'm sort of an accidental politician that I felt that there's something that needs to be changed. And then I thought, oh. That, it's that level of government. Well, if they're not doing it, maybe the elected representative needs to be changed. So why don't I run against and them, And then I win. So I won, sometimes, most of the time. You
0: say that like it's such an understated thing. And then I won. But that seems like it must have been a really significant thing, especially being a woman of color, to have won those elections and to be you know, part of the federal government. Like that feels like a really huge accomplishment.
1: I don't see it as an accomplishment. I see it as something needs to be done. And, and since I worked really closely with the child care movement at that time, and we were pushing to have um, campaign 2000 was to end child poverty by year 2000. I ran during those period. And by gosh, 2000 came and gone. And lots of kids were still going to bed hungry. I thought this is ridiculous. So I ran the entire campaign based on dealing with child poverty. Yeah, and and then got elected. Um, Still, it's so much more we can do. And I'm I'm the kind of member of parliament that uh, my philosophy is that it's not me solving your problem. It's You and I working together, you finding your own power and you go and find 10 more friends and 30 more co-workers and 50 more neighbors. And by gosh, now we've built a little army. Let's go and make the change together. That has always been my philosophy that I'm the conduit and that I am there to support what people need. And that has been this at the center of my political philosophy in the 30 years I was elected
0: I feel like that leads really nicely into the work that you do now because that's still very much at the center of everything you do even though you're now no longer a politician but a recovering politician as you say
1: <laughs> yep yeah yeah I've seen too many top-down solutions you know, road to road to hell sometimes paved with good intention, and God knows how. Um, whatever intention it was when Canada was was uh, dealing with Indigenous people, they really messed up generations. Um, whether it's through the residential schools, it's by land grabs and by <laughs> hot, uh, just systemic colonialism and racism. There's all types of problem and and until until the and power is never given. it needs to be seized. And which is why I am now running this institute with a wonderful group of teachers, organizers, facilitators, social workers, people from all walks of life that want to make change. And we come together to, Give and, and teach the skills and mentor other people to so that they can have the skills to uh, make systemic changes, whether it's in their neighborhood, in their own lives, or as a society. It's really rewarding because it's always a teamwork. It's always and and you see that there's this aha moment when when someone realize how much power they have and realize that this elected person, whether it's member of parliament or city councilor or mayor, they're just an employee of the person. Because if you don't like the work they're doing, you can fire them at the next election. Oh, you know, there's this realization that they do have power, political power to make the change they want. It's very, very rewarding work.
0: I think that's such an important thing for people to know, because that's something that I've often heard, you know, from friends or from family or just, you know, people on the internet saying, well, why should I vote? My one vote doesn't matter. Like, I can't make a difference all by myself. But when you look at all the work that you're doing, teaching people to take back their power and use collective action to make a difference, it really does show that, you know, maybe by yourself, your one vote won't make a huge difference. but man, we can come together. And as a group, we have so much power.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, you know, people that have power knows that. So if you look at the voting turnout rate in, say, Rosedale, ah, 80, 90%. If you look at the voting turnout rate in, say, Region Parks and Jamestown, people that are a bit stressed and um, don't have too much in life, working three shifts um, and then taking care of the families at the same time. Their turnout rates are not very high 30, 40, 50%, depends on which level of government. And because so many people buy in on the concept that politics, man, dirty. Uh, politicians, they're all slimy, they're all the same. Eh, don't worry about that. Just yeah, forget it. it, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which uh, who gets elected. The things, they're all gonna be the same. You know how many times we've heard that over and over again? And that is such a false narrative. The people that has the status quo, that, that the, the people that have power that wants to maintain the status quo, they don't want to look forward, they don't want to change That's the kind of messaging that they want people to hear. So that, oh, you don't vote. That's just fine with us. We'll just make the things the way they always have been. And that's not how social justice or social change happens.
0: I think it's such such an amazing thing to say, too, when you talked about how you got into politics because you noticed that there was an issue in the community and you wanted to make some sort of change. And so you ran and you won Mm -hmm. because people have this perception that all politicians, as you said, are slimy. They're all the same. They're all just these old white men sitting in power who don't care about the rest of us. But I mean, we can run too. If you notice. Oh gosh. Yeah. If you notice that there's you in your community,
1: you can run. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Find like-minded people. Determine, like if it's municipal, it's not party politics, but if it is provincial and federal, find your favorite politician, hang out and volunteer with that person or that party and say, "Hmm, maybe this is the party I like. All right. Well, let me learn the ropes a little bit. Now, some people get involved in politics because they like to hear their own voices. (laughs) bad <laughs> some people go and say oh I want my community voices being heard okay yeah right that's important but what kind of change do you want oh I don't know whatever the community wants uh, not a good idea you need to be fairly clear on what the community wants been working with them uh, and that the minute you get elected these are the things you would do that you have the passion to make the change then you should run for office if not you just want to get power for the sake of power and that's always uh, well they they sometimes those kind of people sometimes get in office but you know i'm not sure they are really doing their community a big favor they may become tokens wet sponges <laughs> because they're from that community well Are they really doing anything to support their own community? I don't know. So whoever might be your audience, Melanie, if some people are interested, yeah, check it out. Oh, the other thing. A lot of talk, huh? Oh, I promise you I'm going to get the National Housing Program. Okay, that sounds great. Uh, Here's... $10 billion, wow, over 10 years. Okay, that sounds good. Except 9 billion of it comes in the last three years. The first seven years, there isn't a whole lot. I'm I'm just exaggerating a bit. But um, sometimes be very careful to see who's actually doing the work, not who's just talking about it because talk is cheap, you know? You know, how long we've talked about making sure the Indigenous community have clean water. Well, never mind. Don't get me started. We could be here all day talking (laughs) about all of the
0: failed promises from the government.
1: Yeah, but we should never give up.
0: And I think that's a really important message that you have, especially in the Institute for Change Leaders, is there is stories of hope out there. And there are things that everyone can do once you have a clear vision, a clear plan, and you have the strategies and the tactics and
1: all the people behind you, you can achieve some really great things. Yeah, I've seen people that came out of the Institute for Change Leaders, uh, taken the courses and go, oh, now I could do a a whole lot. And I thought, wow, Um, a doctor ran these series of sessions using Marshall Ganz methodology and public narrative, got these homeless people to talk about what is the best practices in the emergency ward that could, I guess, deliver better health service. And this uh, doctor, um, who's one of our wonderful facilitators, brought it into the hospital and now they have a person that have lived experience um, from from being homeless inside the emergency ward, giving advice to, to the team how to best operate the emergency ward. All of that is because of the creativity and the passion that when they tell their own stories and hear each other's stories. It creates a lot of power, create lots of hope among the people that um, be part of this um, Change Leaders course.
0: That's such an incredible win. That's such a really important thing is to have representation for people with lived experience, having them right there on the front line, being able to say, this is how to support me best. That's really amazing. Just as we're getting to the end, as we're wrapping up, If you could summarize it in just a couple of sentences, what your message of hope would be for people who are trying to make change in their community, what would you wanna say to them?
1: I'm gonna quote my late husband, there's only one line. Don't let them tell you it can't be done. That's it, go for it, just do it. I love it, that's amazing. Well, thank you, thank you so much for sharing your
0: perspectives and your experience today, Olivia.
1: Thank you, Melanie, for giving me this opportunity. It's been really uh, enjoyable. Take care. Thank
0: you so much to Olivia for sharing her experiences with us. While I love the quote she left us with from her late husband, Jack Layton, I want to finish this episode with a quote from Olivia herself that I've taken from her book, My Journey. Key to my dealings with people, whether at the personal or the political level, is acceptance of another, regardless of race, religion, creed, or sexual orientation. In my lexicon, there are only two key words, contact and connection. First you make one, then you make the other. Next week, we'll be talking to Natalie, who's a health coach. Thanks for listening to The Social Work Social. By sharing information and stories, we hope that you will gain new knowledge and empathy for those who are different from you. All of us have unique backgrounds and experiences, but through our stories, we can learn to relate to one another. Our communities are currently facing extreme challenges, and we all have different strengths and skills that we bring to the table to help combat those challenges. Through working together, we can make a difference. I challenge you to go outside of your comfort zone to find an issue that you can lend your support. Tune in next Friday for another episode of the Social Work Social.